Hello everyone, welcome back. Thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. I don't know if it's beautiful where you are, but it's a freaking beautiful day here. Uh, I hope you had a good weekend this past weekend. Um, in the words, in the immortal words of Jim Carrey from the movie Liar Liar, I've had better, but that's okay. It was still a fun weekend. Um, yeah, I've got a couple things I want to talk about today, but real fast, I just have to say this is so amazing. So literally just before I pressed like go live, I got this news update from CNN and I should be able to, to read what it says to you. So it says higher pay, but less money. Target is raising wages to $15 an hour, but some workers say their hours are being cut and they're worried about losing health insurance. So I haven't read the article, but I mean, that kind of says it all right there. It's like, wow, it's almost like I made a video talking about how $15 an hour minimum wage has unintended consequences. Uh, so I'll put a link to that in the comments for this. Um, anyway, it's not that I'm like stoked that people from that work at Target are getting their hours cut, but it's just, I'm, you know, it's, it's ironic and frustrating and confusing that, you know, these things remain popular ideas despite just evidence, just glaring evidence to the contrary. Uh, so that's that's amazing. I'll put the link to that article in there too, so you guys can check it out for yourself. Maybe it totally debunks the video I made. Maybe that was just a misleading headline. I don't know, um, but I don't think it is. Anyway, so I had a couple things I was going to talk about. I was going to do some stuff about the Democrat primaries and had a couple, you know, kind of all over the place stories. And what I decided I'm going to do is I'm actually going to talk about three different stories and kind of how they're connected, mostly the last two. Um, and then tomorrow is the fourth Democrat debate. There's going to be like 12 people on stage. So if it didn't feel crowded enough, um, there's going to be 12. So awesome. So I'll probably do a video just kind of what to expect and where the polls are. Uh, I think Real, Real Clear Politics has a poll from Friday. Um, that's the aggregate of all the polls, but I want to see, I know they'll probably do one today or tomorrow before the debates. So I'll give you guys whatever the, like the most latest poll data is and do something about the debates. And then probably later this week, maybe this weekend, do something of recap of the debates, um, and then cover some other stuff that I probably won't get to today. Um, anyway, so that said, so the first, the first story I want to talk about today is something you guys maybe have noticed, maybe not. Um, maybe seen in the news propping up here and there. The first time I saw anything related to this was this past summer. Um, but it just recently became official. So the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, um, declared the OK sign uh, a hate symbol. And kind of the, what the rationale is, is that it's, it's white power. So this part makes a W, and then this part going down makes a P. They have like a whole diagram on their website. And it's WP, white power, so the OK symbol is actually a hate symbol. And, you know, that's kind of one of those things you hear about it and you're like, well, that's silly. You know, that's, my thought was, like, OK, well, can we say OK? Like, does Oklahoma have to change its abbreviation? I don't know. Like, do we, do we just have to say all right? You know, I don't know. how any Can we say okie dokie? Um, or is that also racist? So, anyway, but it seems silly, but I also, you know, try to think of, OK, well, <laughs> all right, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. What causes these things? What are the implications? Do they incentivize other things? 
Um, so I went to the ADL's website and I was looking at their other things that were declared hate symbols um, by them on their website. So here's a few of the things. And obviously, these are I pulled out things that seem silly. There's other things like swastikas, you know, and SS symbols that are obviously racist. But there are some other things I think don't exactly pass the muster in terms of being universally declared or should be universally considered hate symbols. But anyway, you can be the judge. So some other things that are now racist and are hate symbols. Uh, the number is 100%. Uh, the number 12, 13, 14, 18, 311. So I guess amber is the color of my energy should be renamed. White is the color of my nationality. That, because 311, the band is now racist, I guess. I don't know. Um, Anti-Antifa images. Uh, so images that oppose Antifa. And this is from the ADL's website. It says... Anti-Antifa images are white supremacist symbols and memes directed against Antifa activists. Antifa, which is short for anti-fascist, are left-wing and anarchist groups who focus on directly confronting white supremacists. So I guess if you are against, by the ADL's own definition, anarchist groups, then I guess that makes you racist. I don't know. Um, the Coors Beer logo is also racist according to the ADL. Uh, so there is a Southern California white supremacist group that uses it as an acronym, uh, which is just like so classic, right? Like some super white trash racist hillbilly dudes. We're like, well, it's going to be Coors. What, it'll be because we like the beer too. I don't know. But for them, it stands for comrades of our racial struggle. It's like, all right, they really contrived that one. My guess is they just a bunch of racists that like drinking Coors. But anyway, so that's the Coors symbol is racist. So if someone made a racist uh, um, symbol out of the Nike swoosh or out of, you know, some type of acronym out of the word Nike, I guess all of Nike would be racist also. Who knows? Um, HLN or HSN um, is also racist which I guess stands for Hammerskin Nation. I thought it was Home Shopping Network, but I guess it's not. So if you thought the HSN was really just associated with buying crappy jewelry um, and other things that fall apart, you were wrong. It's the Hammerskin Nation. Um, another one that's on here is the Noose, which, so admittedly, I went down kind of a rabbit trail on this. I just get curious about things, and I was like, the noose, I always think of the noose being, you know, like Western movies and like Pirates of the Caribbean, Johnny Depp as, you know, Jack Sparrow. They try to hang him like a thousand times in those movies. There's a hanging scene in one of my favorite movies, which is Gangs in New York. The point is, is that I always just associate it with like a capital punishment, but I'm, I'm just a white guy, I guess. And they're saying it's a hate symbol because of its association with lynchings. But I'm like, you know, I've been around some pretty racist people in my life and I've never heard anyone reference a noose even just as a joke or their version of, you know, a sick joke as a racist thing. So I got curious and I'm like, is it really? Like how much, what's the ratio of lynching to capital punishment? And so I looked it up. Um, anyway, I looked it up and hanging was the most common, most popular form of capital punishment in the U.S. until the early 1900s, uh, which is when the electric chair started to over like to pass it in terms of popularity. But to this day, 
hanging is still a legal form of capital punishment in the state of New Hampshire, because of course it is. I would have expected that in like Texas or Alabama, but yeah, in New Hampshire, it's still a totally legitimate and legal way for if they were going to give someone the death penalty. Um, and according to Time Magazine, I'll put a link to all these sources in, in the comments, um, that 58% of all executions in the U.S. done since 1700 were via hanging, which was like 9,183 by Time's estimates. So 58% of all just, you know, whatever reason the person got the death penalty, they were hung. Um, and that was the most common until the early 1900s. And then, so I was like, okay, well, what about lynchings, right? So fair enough. So the study I found that seemed to be the most comprehensive, so UMKC did a study about lynchings in the post-Reconstruction era South. And because after Reconstruction was basically over and the Republicans from the North that were kind of micromanaging that left, that's when you see the KKK prop up in the South. That's when you see a lot of these hate crimes happening in the South, including all these lynchings. So according to UMKC, there were 4,742 lynchings done in the U.S. during the 86 years, that's our arbitrary number, between 1882 and 1968. And of those lynchings, UMKC estimates that 73% of them were racist lynchings of blacks. That's awful, right? So 73% were just absolutely morally abhorrent acts, and 27% of them weren't in that category. But if you add them together then you, the number you get is exactly of those racist lynchings is exactly 25%. If you take the ones that were done like just federally, if you take times numbers and add them to the lynchings that were unlawfully conducted um, from UMKC, you get to where it's like exactly 25% of the lynchings or of the hangings, the things with the noose, were this racist lynching thing. Um, and as I've done with previous topics, and maybe if you've watched some of my other videos, you've thought, why is he picking at this? Like, it's a noose. It's only ever associated with death. Why does it matter? Like, why are you trying to reclaim the noose? I'm not. I'm not. Okay. I, that's not what I'm trying to do here. But I do want to draw out a point, which also applies to this okay symbol and a lot of these other things. And the point is, is that what the ADL has done here and the ripple effects we see in society generally is a minority of unreasonable people and a minority of poorly motivated people or trolls or whatever are dictating the terms of reality to the majority. So even though 75% of the hangings that took place in the U.S. were not these racist lynchings, we're going to say, well, no, the noose is actually should be associated with this other 25%. Same way with the, and bringing it back to that okay symbol. So think about how ubiquitous okay is in our society. And a minority of unreasonable people have now just completely redictated the terms of reality here. That's the principle I'm trying to get at. You know, it made me think about, you know, if, if an elementary school student, like a maybe a first grader, you know, tells their teacher, you know, hey, teacher, did you, did you know that if your pencil, after you sharpen it, if you set it on your desk and it's pointing at someone's face, then that means that you have a crush on them. Like, the teacher would not say, oh, really? No kidding? Like, no, they would say, oh, that's so cute that you and your other little friends, all five of you, think that, you know? But you wouldn't let a child's unreasonable declaration of reality dictate the new terms of reality. 
And that's exactly what the ADL did here with the OK symbol. So this is from their website. A common hand gesture that a 4chan, which is a website, a 4chan trolling campaign claimed in 2017 had been appropriated as a symbol meaning white power, used by many on the right, not just extremists, for the purpose of trolling liberals. The symbol eventually came to be used by actual white supremacists as well. Caution must be used in evaluating instances of this symbol's use. So that's the point I'm getting at, is by their own admission, trolls were like, hey, we're going to, we're just, we're trolling, we're, we're messing, we're trying to get a rise out of people, we're trying to get a reaction. And then the ADL is like, okay, here's your reaction on your silver platter. Um, and that's the point, whether it's the noose or whatever, like you can skip over that one, that's fine, it only symbolizes death. But we saw this with the Betsy Ross flag on the shoes when Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick was all up in arms saying that that was racist. Uh, Chris Pratt got in trouble for wearing a shirt, a Don't Tread on Me shirt. It's not a racist shirt. Um, and with the OK symbol here, I saw a thing, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, about how the bowl cut is now a symbol of white supremacists and racists. I'm like, really? The bowl cut? It's like, it's like, who cares? I mean, it's the bowl cut, but really? You know, I was thinking about the new Terminator movie coming out. The actress Mackenzie Davis has a bowl cut. It's like, oh, did no one tell her that she's actually, she's double representing white supremacy because she's from the future and she's doing it in the in the present, in the movie. So James Cameron, I guess, is double canceled for that. But anyway, the point is, is that, again, we, we don't let unreasonable people dictate the terms of reality to us, particularly whenever that has consequences. Like, it, again, that situation, if that kid's like, if the pencil's pointing, that means you like them. So that's a crush. There you have a crush. You know, the teacher would be totally uncalled for if they said, really? Oh, that means you like this person? Oh, hey, do they like you back? No. Okay, you're expelled for harassment. Like, that would be totally unreasonable because you don't take an unreasonable thing and then integrate it into your schema for reality. But that's what the ADL did, and that's what we're seeing in society generally with a lot of these just overblown and ridiculous responses to things and they have consequences so the first time i heard about this in kind of the mainstream uh was this past summer a cubs fan got permanently banned from wrigley field for doing the upside down okay symbol uh, in the back they were broadcasting the baseball game and he was back there and he did that he got labeled a racist white supremacist and permanently banned from wrigley field and then just the other day there was a story about this employee in Orlando Studios who this guy was dressed up like Gru for Despicable Me, and he did that same thing on this girl's shoulder, and he got fired, got labeled a racist white supremacist. And here's the deal. These people weren't even doing it right. Like, if it's the okay symbol, like, no one ever says, hey, how you doing, uh, Jimmy? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Everything is fine here. Like, no, absolutely not. Everyone who ever went to middle school knows what this is. That's that... Oh, can you get my friends to look game where you kind of put it down here or whatever and hide it and if your buddy looks at it then you get to punch him in the arm or punch him in the leg or whatever so these guys whether it's the guy dressed as Gru or the guy at Wrigley Field you might say it's silly for them to be doing that you know middle school game or whatever in a picture particularly if you're working at Orlando Studios that's it's totally stupid but the point is those guys weren't doing some white supremacist symbol and this is this is from the, the, the Huffington Post article about the guy who got fired from Orlando Studios. And this is kind of the main point where I just want to think about, like, okay, are, are we, how do we feel about this? 
So this is from this about what happened to Dean Orlando. The once innocent OK symbol has recently taken on a more sinister meaning, as some use it to promote white power, according to the Anti-Defamation League. It started as an online hoax on the website 4chan, with hoaxers hoping that the media and liberals would overreact to something that wasn't true. Let that marinate in your mind. By their own admission, this is something that people did hoping to get a reaction out of others, hoping that people would take it seriously and trolling. And they said, okay, yeah, we're going to do that. We will take you seriously. What are they incentivizing? Do you think that those trolls are just going to say, oh, mission accomplished. We got them. They totally fell for okay. We're done here. No, of course not. You're incentivizing them to come up with more and more ridiculous things to hijack and co-opt to troll people because they're getting the results they want. It's the same reason why if a kid is getting picked on and they're super defensive about it and you know, and someone observes it, obviously it's never okay to be bullying someone, but a good piece of advice for that kid is to say, don't give them the reaction that they want. Their, their reason that they keep doing this one thing that they know bothers you, or you know, I think about in uh, Back to the Future, eat chicken McFly. Like the reason Biff says that is because he knows it'll get the reaction he wants from Marty McFly. And so it's the same way with these things, same way with the kid getting picked on or whatever. If you know that the person is looking for this reaction, in this case, legitimizing some trolly nonsense completely done in bad faith, what you don't do is say, oh my God, really? Yes? Okay, yeah. I'm going to give you everything you want because one, you're incentivizing more of it, but two, you're giving power to unreasonable people and to trolls. And just in some cases, I have no doubt that some white supremacists use this. I couldn't find any examples of it. The only examples I found were these these two stories. Um, feel free to send me some links if you can find some really overt examples of now all of a sudden all the skinheads are running around doing okay, you know, and while they're lighting crosses on fire in people's yards. I couldn't find any of that. But the point is, is that we're incentivizing more of this, you know, in the same way that that if a, you know, if you told, again, going back to with a kid, hey, you have some chores to do. Uh, I need you to do this, this, and this. And they said, oh, no, it's actually opposite day, so I don't have to do that. Again, you wouldn't say, oh, it is? Oh, okay, all right, um, my bad, I didn't realize it. I'll let everyone know, we'll send out the proper emails, contact our state legislators, today is opposite day. Like, no, what do you do? You say, no, no, it's not, go do the dishes, all right, or whatever the, the thing is. And so that's what we have to do here. That's the takeaway, in my opinion, is, you know, for us to say, no, absolutely not. This is this is not okay, right? Like, okay is okay. This is not okay. We're not going to legitimize the actions of trolls and, you know, skinhead gangs in an Arkansas prison somewhere or 47 hillbillies in Southern California trying to say that the queer symbol is racist. So I think we have to say no to this stuff and say, absolutely not. In the same way that I wouldn't agree that it's opposite day, that we're not, we cannot agree to this because we're only going to get more of it. We're only going to incentivize more of this crap. Okay. Okay. Not okay. Anyway. All right. So moving on. So that I'll kind of want to recap two stories that I'm sure you're familiar with and then kind of tell you how I think they're connected. Um, and why I think we should actually be fairly alarmed by this. Uh, this is something I've been thinking about for the last you know week or two and, it's really bothering me. So anyway, I'll recap these two stories, then we'll kind of see, get to the main point here. So the first one was, 
I'm sure a lot of you saw this viral video of the hug that Botham Jean's brother gave Amber Geiger after her conviction. So for those of you who don't know, Amber Geiger was an off-duty police officer, I believe in Dallas or Fort Worth, uh, who went into the wrong apartment and this dude, the dude who lived there um, was a guy named Botham Jean. He was an accountant. He was just sitting on his couch and she shot him dead because she thought she was in her apartment um, and that he was intruding. And so she just killed him in cold blood. It's a horrific story. Absolutely uncalled for. Um, I was pretty, I was pretty harsh uh, to her on Twitter. Brant Jean. Okay, cool. Thank you, Brant. Um, I wouldn't have taken him for a Brant. Botham and Brant don't, I just, I don't know how you make that leap, but whatever. So anyway, the point is, is that she got, uh, her trial was last week, um, or maybe it was a week before. Anyway, she got 10 years, first degree murder, and there was this viral video that went around of her, when her brother was up on the stand at the end, um, he, he gets emotional and he says, you know, I don't, I don't want you to go to jail. I don't want bad things for you. Um, I love you. I want what's good for you. Uh, give your life to God, ask him to forgive you and he will. And he's getting choked up and you can tell this is totally spontaneous because he says, I wasn't planning on even telling my family this, that that was what he was thinking and feeling about the situation, but he just couldn't help himself. And he was on the stand and he said that. And then he asked the judge, he says, can I give her a hug? And at first it's obvious that the judge says no. Um, and then he says, please, like through these tears and I'm guessing she nodded because he gets up and then as the camera comes back, you can see the judge is drying her eyes like she's at the whole courtroom is in tears and he goes and gives Amber Geiger this hug and it's this really beautiful moment. And then afterwards, this didn't get as much attention, but it still got quite a bit. The judge, uh, after everything was all done, after the, the trial was all over, she went back to her chambers and she got her Bible and she gave her Bible to Amber Geiger and quoted some uh, scripture to her and gave her a hug as well. Um, it was really beautiful, really beautiful, really admirable thing. But what was astounding about that um, was there was quite a bit of criticism that I saw online. Yeah, it was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, but beautiful at the same time, the way he responded. You know, I, I would hope... I would hope that I would have 1% of the class that Brant Jean had in that moment. Um, because if that was my brother, I just, I have no confidence whatsoever that I would respond in that same way. Um, so anyway, very admirable. And then the judge, you know, that's a spontaneous act of kindness there too. Um, but what was astounding to me was there was a decent amount of criticism I saw online of whether it was the Young Turks did this whole piece on it. Um, there was a piece on CNN saying, you know, talking about black forgiveness. And there was these, you know, hot take think pieces written about how this is, we're always asking black people to forgive because the judge is black. Botham Jean was obviously black. His brother was black. Um, and Amber Geiger was white. And how this was really just about how bad our culture was that we expect black people to forgive. And the, the Young Turks um, were going on about how you know, this is because of this bad version of Christianity that they believe in. And this needs to be everywhere. It can't just be the black people that do it. And, you know, I had the thought, I'm like, I don't think that the Young Turks would advocate for America to be a Christian nation and that everyone has to become whatever version of Christianity Brant Jean is. But that's where that came from for him. And regardless of how you feel about the Bible, Christianity generally, both those acts, 
by the judge and by Brant Jean were spontaneous acts of kindness and of compassion and of grace. And I was really taken aback by the number of pieces that were written. They weren't so much criticizing Brant Jean. The judge got quite a bit of criticism um, for what she did. And she said, look, the trial was over. I can do whatever I want. I'm going to give her my Bible. That's what I'm going to do. So she did a good job of standing against some of that criticism. But the criticism generally of Oh, there was this hug, and it's so beautiful. But what does this really say? Oh, we're always we're always asking black people to forgive, um, which I thought was a completely toxic and morbid take on what happened there. But either way, that very act of grace and of forgiveness was criticized pretty heavily, and I think it's also related to this other story that happened that I think gained equal as much or gained an equal amount of attention this past week, and then I'll kind of tie these two together. And that was what happened with Ellen and George W. Bush. So a week from yesterday, I think it was, um, whenever the Packers and the Cowboys played, Ellen and I think her, I guess her wife, uh, were invited to sit in like the owner's box or whatever at at the Cowboys game. And George W. Bush and his wife happened to be there also. And so there was a picture that went around the internet of, I assume, one of the cameramen or someone across from them saw them sitting and laughing together. And so there was a bunch of people on Twitter that were just hardcore going after Ellen for, you know, chumming it up with George W. Bush. And then Ellen got on her show on Tuesday, uh, this past Tuesday, and delivered a monologue that I thought was absolutely fantastic. And she did what few people do. She didn't cave to the Twitter mob. And instead, she absolutely stood against it. You know, there was people like Mark Ruffalo tweeting at her saying, we can't even begin to talk about kindness and criticizing her. And this is what Ellen said in in her monologue. Um, she said, be kind to one another, even if you disagree. Um, she said, uh, gosh dang it, my thing is, there we go. Okay, here's what she said. I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's okay, that we're all different. Just because I don't agree with someone doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way you do. I mean be kind to everyone. It doesn't matter. And that was the the thing that she got hardcore criticized for was where she said, be kind to one another, even if it's someone you disagree with. And there's, so whether it's Mark Ruffalo or a lot of people in the press, they went after her for this. And that was an, uh, you know kind of similar to seeing all those criticisms of that example with Brant, Jean, and Amber Geiger. The amount, I saw way more hot takes about that with Ellen and what she said there. For example, Anna Kasparian, again on the Young Turks, um, after the clip of that, she said, you know, that kind of disgusted me. Um, she said, I have no interest in rehabilitating the image of people like George Bush or Donald Trump. I don't want to be nice. I want to be mean. I want to be a mean person because they deserve it. Um, And there was a lot of that. I mean, that is just gross to me. But there was a lot of editorials that expressed that same sentiment. Uh, Molly Roberts for Washington Post wrote an opinion piece titled Ellen DeGeneres Tells America That She's Better Than Us. Vanity Fair had a piece criticizing her pretty heavily. Um, There was another one on NBC News criticizing her pretty heavily, and the list goes on. And so the way I see these two things as related, if you were to say, what are the themes of what happened with Brant Jean and that judge, 
and what happened with Ellen and George W. Bush, some themes that come to my mind are forgiveness, um, compassion, grace, uh, and with the Ellen one particularly uh, is tolerance. You know, not this kind of new bastardized version of tolerance that we see where tolerance is now. You have to agree with everything I say and you have to openly be talking about how much you agree with and love everything I'm saying. Um, that's not tolerance, uh, but what we would have traditionally up until the past couple of years considered tolerance, which is is tolerating. It's saying, I don't agree with you. You don't agree with me, whatever. You live your life. I live my life. I'm not going to try to control you. You don't try to control me. That's tolerance. And that's what Ellen is espousing here is true tolerance. Um, and again, compassion, open exchange of ideas, I think. I mean, how else would you know if you don't agree with someone in the, unless there was an open exchange of ideas and you were still had the ability to be friends or even just be friendly afterwards. And so back to some of these themes, what is the reason why both of these stories are so incredibly troubling to me and why I think they should be troubling to you too is these themes of compassion and forgiveness and tolerance and kindness are now being overtly rejected whenever they are being directed at someone that uh, people might even remotely disagree with. And to me, it symbolizes another step towards, if you watched my video about after 9-11 where I talked about this a principle of a watchman threshold, where I said, look, there's a, a, a point to where you get to, to where the ravine is so large between two groups that the only thing that will bridge that gap is a tremendous expenditure of resources or an incredibly violent um, event or destabilizing event. Um, and to me, this, the reaction to Ellen, um, and the reaction to what happened with Brant, Jean, and Amber Geiger symbolizes to me an, another step in that direction, a step towards that precipice of getting to the point where we are so divided that it is almost to the point of no return without something dramatic happening. Um, you know, cause, I, cause here, here's the, here's the difference I see between the two. Um, starting maybe around 2015 and then since the election of 2016, we've seen, I mean, obviously everyone has seen a huge increase in the polarization, um, and people just being vicious to people they disagree with. I did a whole video about ad hominem where people are just lobbing attacks at people they disagree with and insulting them and just calling them names and saying they're evil or whatever instead of engaging with their ideas. Um, and so that has kind of become the norm now where people have said, this is your side, this is my side, and we're going to lob attacks over at the people over here and you're going to lob attacks over at us and we're not going to talk and we're going to say the worst things about each other. Um, now, I hate that. I think it's disgusting. It's one of the things I constantly try to talk about moving against and saying no to that crap. But I don't think anyone would disagree that that has been kind of the zeitgeist, kind of the uh, the cultural milieu that we're in right now. But the difference that I see here and the shift that I see here is going from saying, this is my side, we're going to throw attacks over here, 
uh, we're going to say all these horrible things about them or whatever, to now it has become not only are we going to say all these horrible things about them, but if anyone on my side extends any level of humanity or just being a principled good person or you know charity, kindness, whatever, to the other side, then now you're also in the crosshairs. The bad guys are over there, but you're being kind to them, and now you're in the crosshairs too. And that's what we saw with Ellen, and that's what we saw with this event with, with Brant Jean, is... You know, imagine being, so again, look at what Ellen said. Be kind to one another, even if you disagree. Can you imagine feeling morally outraged by that statement? Or this like righteous indignation at that statement? That is about as uncontroversial as a statement as you could possibly get. But she was absolutely eviscerated on every major media outlet for saying that. Be kind to people, even if you disagree. And think about who she was talking about. She was just talking about George W. Bush. Now, regardless of how you feel about George W. Bush, there's a spectrum of people that you would disagree with and say that the most extreme version of being kind to someone you disagree with is like a Nazi or a Klansman. George W. Bush is pretty freaking far, at least in terms of how most reasonable people would classify it, from that Nazi or Klansman. That's the reaction she got about talking about just a former president. Think about this upcoming election cycle. And if that mentality is the prevailing mentality leading into the 2020 election. Stop and think about that. If that doesn't terrify you, it should. Criticizing and overtly um, disdaining being kind to people that you disagree with saying no, we're not going to be kind to people we disagree with, is horrific. Like, all of those principles are things that we would instill in our kids. You know, when you think about what are the things you want to teach your kids? You want to teach them kindness. You want to teach them compassion. You want to keep, teach them forgiveness. You want to teach them tolerance. And th this is why this represents a new step for me, because now it's like we're not just targeting the people on the other side. We're targeting people on our side that even want to just have one shred of humanity and decency that they're extending to people that we disagree with. And what's that going to do? That's going to bully people into silence. That's going to completely alienate people. Not everyone has the fortitude of Ellen here. Most people counter this type of stuff and say, okay, I'm, it's not worth the fight. It's not worth the struggle. And are willing to be bullied into silence and willing to go along with some of the worst possible behavior. And so that's why, to me, this is this is symbolizing we're entering in, into a new stage in this kind of cultural poisonous atmosphere that we're at, where it's not just criticizing our opponents, but criticizing people on our side that want to just have principles of kindness and compassion. Um, so I, I don't really have a, a, I wish I had a prescription for this um, that was for sure, you know, or some level of optimism for you. I really don't. Um, but here's the one thing I will say is two things. One, if, if you agree that this is like canaries in the coal mine, you know, I, you know, in, in the in past times, miners would bring canaries down in cages in the coal mines, um, to know that if there was natural gas, that they weren't smelling the canary, you know, if they're freaking out or the canary dies, they know this is a bad environment. We got to get out. We got to change the environment. Whenever I'm seeing, 
people across the board just completely piling on Ellen for saying be kind to everyone, that's a whole bunch of dead canaries in my mind. That is a toxic, poisonous environment that we have got to get out of as soon as humanly possible. Um, so if, if you agree with that, if you think that that's a correct assessment, two things I would say. One, I'm currently uh, going back through this book. Uh, I think I recommended it a couple weeks ago by Peter Bogosian and James Lindsay just came out called How to Have Impossible Conversations. Um, it's a really good book because that's one of the things that's missing. That's one of the things I talk about a lot is that we have to learn to talk to each other. And one of the really cool principles in that book they talk about is shifting the goals of your conversation and not going into every conversation trying to debate or change people's mind or just throw facts at them, but shifting how you operate to trying to be a learner, to trying to listen, to trying to understand the other person's perspective. Because what, what that'll do is, one, it might help you. You might change your mind on some things. It, it gives you an open mind, which is what you want them to have. So it teaches you to practice kind of what you preach there. And then the other thing that it does is it lowers um, their defenses because if they sense that you're just trying to learn from them, then they're more likely to have an open mind as well. And that's one of the things we need is we need conversations. One of the things I've said repeatedly on Twitter is we need dialogue, not dunks. All right, We need to have discussions, not dunking on each other, not these, these debates. There's a place for debates, and we do need to have debates on certain things for sure. But in terms of just talking to people in our everyday lives we disagree with, we can't be treating all of those like debates. We have to be trying to find common humanity um, with each other. So anyway, um, so that I would recommend that book, uh, How to Have Impossible Conversations, because that's what we need. And then the other thing, I guess, it kind of gives me some hope that I thought was really encouraging thought. Uh, I'm also going through uh, Douglas Murray's new book that just came out the other day called The Madness of the Crowds. And he did an interview yesterday with Dave Rubin that I was watching and uh Ruben said, and he was talking about this stuff with Justin Trudeau, uh, with the black face, brown face, you know, whatever. It seemed like, you know, Trudeau had like 50,000 instances where he was doing that. And Ruben says, so what do we do with, you know, with our principles here? You know, do we use these tactics of, you know, assuming the worst possible thing and throwing hate back at people, you know, again, even though we know that Trudeau isn't a racist and we know that this wasn't some racist thing, um, do we use those tactics on him because we know that he would use that if that was his political opponents, he would say they were racist. He would be calling for them to step down. Um, or what do we do there? And what Douglas Murray said, I thought was really profound is he said, you know, one of the things that we seem to have forgotten about in our culture is there's no way to undo a past event. You can't change history. You can't undo past events. Uh, but we, so one of the things we've learned in our personal lives to overcome that is the principle of grace and forgiveness. And he said, so what I think that the appropriate thing to do, whether it's with Trudeau or anyone else here, is to say, no, even though I don't think that you would extend the same principle to someone you disagree with, or to me, or to this other person, or whatever, we're going to say, I forgive you. You know, we know you're not racist. You know, we know... You know, that's just, there's no evidence of that. This is a thing you screwed up. You admitted you were wrong. We're going to move past it. And I want you to consider how it feels that we're going to treat you like that. And we, we're going to honestly treat you like that. And then now hold you to that same standard that you are now expected to do that to other people. Because now that you realize that how good it feels 
for people to not just assume the worst and throw the worst possible thing at you, then hopefully you would have the humanity and the decency to extend that to the next person. And what Murray said was, we have to get back to this place where we're talking to each other and we're extending grace to each other and common humanity to each other. He said, because this is unsustainable and absolutely anything is better than this. He said, we can't just tell people to say no to this craziness that we're being invited into, this kind of intersectional madness um, that we're being invited into. It's, he said, it's not good enough for us to just say no to that and tell others to say no. But we have to say, here's what you should say yes to instead. And that's where he was getting at that principle of like forgiveness and forbearance um, in the example of Justin Trudeau. And I thought that was a really insightful uh, thing for Douglas Murray to say. You know, there's a quote from a civil rights activist um, uh, in the, like the early to mid-1960s. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember what, the, what her name was. Um, Robbie something. But anyway, it was in... Uh, the Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt. And the, the principle is this, and I guess this is what I'll kind of leave you with. She, and this is a, a person who is treated viciously by racists, um, who was in, the, in the, the heat of it, you know, during the civil rights movement. She said, whenever my adversaries or, so, or people around me try to draw a circle to exclude me, she said, I draw a bigger circle around my brothers to include them. And to, in other words, to find that common humanity and that common decency and to try to appeal to people's better angels as, uh, uh, not Murray, I forgot what his name is, doesn't matter. Um, anyway, but try to appeal to people's better nature and treat them in a way that's principled. I mean, that's what Ellen was saying. Be kind to people, even if you disagree, that shouldn't be a controversial thing, but it is. Um, and so I think that it, like with the okay thing, and saying we're not going to let unreasonable people dictate the terms of reality. I think we have to say the same thing here and say, no, it's a good thing for a guy to forgive his brother's murder. And also, that's his own decision to make. Like, for, for anyone to criticize that is completely out of line. And that's his own decision to make. And the, bet, the only thing that we could say is, that is admirable. I mean, it really is. Um, or to criticize Ellen saying... You know, we have to be kind to everyone. Like, we cannot allow unreasonable people that would find that an offensive thing to dictate the terms of reality. But that's what's happening, is unreasonable people, poorly motivated people. I mean, that person in Washington Post said, Ellen's just telling us that she's better than us. It's like, how jaded and cynical do you have to be, again, to be offended by her saying, let's be kind to each other. Um, so I think it's our job. That's the, the most optimistic thing I could say is it's our job to say no to this. Um, you know, I heard someone say recently that there's a bravery deficit, a courage deficit in this country because people are afraid to stand up to things that are just obviously wrong. Um, and this thing with Alan, the thing with ADL, whatever, all of those things, those are obviously wrong. Those go against all principles that hold a society together. And if we want to maintain a stable society, we have to say no and then do something better. And say, no, we're going to extend grace. And we're going to extend just that principle, again, of tolerance. It doesn't mean you have to agree. You, and you can hash out ideas. But treating people with basic human dignity. Because if we don't, I'm absolutely terrified for what the next 14 months is going to hold for this country. I really am. Um, but I don't think it's too late. I think that we can. Change happens at the level of the individual. We can. 
you know, that, that hug between Amber Geiger and Brant Jean. It's the last thing I'll say about it, I promise. But there's this movie called Tomorrowland with, like, George Clooney and uh, Hugh Laurie. Anyway, it's this Disney movie. And there's this clock that has, like, the certainty of, like, when the world's going to end, basically. And it's at 100%. And George Clooney plays this, like, really jaded former kid scientist. And this young girl is talking to him, and she's arguing with him, and she says something hopeful that he would maybe think was naive. And he sees the number on the clock go from 100 to, like, 99.7. And he realizes, like, oh, no, there is there is hope. There is hope. We can we can turn this thing around. Um, and that's kind of how I felt seeing that, seeing that hug between Brant Jean and Amber Geiger was, for me, it kind of felt like, the 100 went down to 99.7. Of course, then when this happened with Ellen, it went back up to like 150, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that we can do this as individuals. So anyway, that's all I got. Um, appreciate you watching. If you have any thoughts, drop me a comment. Um, I'd appreciate it if you follow me on Twitter. It's at MyMundaneMind. I'm tweeting a lot now lately, so if, if you're into the Twitter scene, drop me a follow on there. If you like this kind of stuff, uh, I'll put a link to my YouTube channel if you would like and subscribe to the videos or subscribe to the channel. I'd appreciate it. Um, or if you don't, again, if you don't like it, then still subscribe. That way you can share my videos and say, look at this idiot. Um, so either way, that's fine with me. Um, anyway, yeah, so tomorrow I'll probably do, like I said, a thing on um, the debates, kind of what to expect, where the polls are at, um, and what to look for there. Uh, I th I'm not expecting to be too surprised but we'll see and then i'll do one a follow-up probably a couple days later after the debates to see this is where the what the aftermath is you know did it move the dial like for example the last one didn't really move the dial at all you know maybe we will see that happen for example tulsi gabbard's going to be in this one um so we'll see maybe that will change some things um i don't know so anyway that's it Thank you for watching, and uh, stay frosty, I guess. Be kind to each other, even those you disagree with. See ya.